evening, Grace Americans. You hear what I've come to take you home today, and it's going to be an extraordinary hour because uh, right after the break, I'm going to talk with David Platt, the author of one of the most impactful books of the year, a New York Times bestseller called Radical. Uh, it's uh, linked over to HughHewitt.com. If you missed it, it's uh, it's currently, came out in May. All right, came out in May. It's number 61 on Amazon, even though it's been out for five months. It is number one at Amazon in the category of Christology. It's number one at Amazon in the category of faith. It's number one in the category of discipleship. And so when it was recommended to me by a very trusted advisor, friend in the publishing industry, as an important book, and he's got no connection to it, I got a hold of it, read it, and said, okay, let's talk to David Platt. And so he's coming up after the break. While you're over at HughHewitt.com, if you want to check that out, please also take an opportunity to sign up for the Imprimus newsletter out of Hillsdale, the Mike Pence speech. I told you about it last week, and you really do not want to miss that. Imprimus has been, it's free. It's absolutely 100% free. They don't sell your list. They don't do any of that kind of stuff. They're interested in ideas. And they got like a million and a half people on their mailing list that they send in Primus to every single month or 11 times a year. And it's a speech. It's a great speech. Mark Stein's been in it, Victor Davis Hanson, Mike Pence. I'll get Arn on sometime this month to talk to him about it. Uh, but it's over there, as is still, for one more day, the uh, 888-58-CHILD campaign, Americans Feeding Americans. And your your gift of 25 or 50 or 100 bucks is just a... Uh, a wonderful way this Thanksgiving week to uh, to count your blessings and help those who've had a very tough year in America as the convoys of food roll out across the United States. And that's uh, 888-58-CHILD. We've had over uh, $75,000 raised in four days. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you very much, America. Very, very nice of you. Uh, dancing is tonight. And I was reading during the break last night's Washington Post. It's become a Sarah Palin story. Everything becomes a Sarah Palin story. With just one more night of competition to go before we find out if Bristol Palin wins the hideous yet coveted mirror ball trophy, of which I know nothing, the executive producer of Dancing with the Stars insists that the show's security system is catching and expunging all those votes for her that are being cast by people using bogus email addresses to game the voting system. On the other hand, the executive producer, Conrad Green, also insists he's shocked, shocked to discover the Palin family could have such a polarizing effect on the American public over a simple little dance competition show. Meanwhile, a conservative blogger who's taken credit for the email voting shenanigans says he orchestrated the whole thing to pay back Democrats for years of voter fraud. Right. You know, it. You know, anyone taking credit for anything these days is very, very, very suspicious. Bristol's mom, Sarah, tried to capitalize on the size of her daughter's audience to boost ratings for her own far less popular reality TV series, TLC Sarah Palin's Alaska. I didn't see that. That's just another nasty MSM swipe at Sarah Palin. These are just the latest headlines in our ongoing coverage of Dancing with the Stars, Decision 2010, America to Crossroads, The Final Countdown. <laughs> That's a pretty funny line. I have no reason to believe this would happen, Green told the TV column last week of the kerfuffle that has erupted over Bristol Palin, who's the weakest dancer in the competition, according to the score she's receiving from some of the show's professional ballroom dance judges, but who has outlasted far more accomplished performers. Well, what do you know? America votes for Bristol Palin. What a surprise. Who would have thunk it that they vote for Bristol Palin as a way of saying, we like what your mom does, we, we understand what you've been through, and we're going to support you. What a surprise. You know, they love this. 
at Fox. They love this. It's an absolute ratings boon. That's a silly story, but how could anyone be surprised by this? She's going to win, right? I don't know. Is she going to win, Dwayne? Bristol going to win? She probably shouldn't, but she will. But she will win. I mean, this is... It's got nothing to do with dancing. No, it's a popularity contest. Yeah. It's like American Idol. Everybody it's like calls high school. It's, it's a popularity contest. They can't rig it so she won't. They'll find that out. They can't rig it so they will. They just have to let the votes come in. And so that's, that's what's going to happen. George in Florida. Hi, George. You're on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Yeah, I want to talk about the scanners. Just one sentence on, on Bristol. Um, the idea behind uh, television is to get ratings for advertising. Amen. She's doing it. So. Amen. <laughs> anyway, um, I picked up some parasites overseas, working in the oil and gas industry. I came back here, Mayo Clinic, other people tried to help. And, and I, I stumbled on uh, some uh, acupuncturists who had an electronic machine which would detect any nuclear, biological, chemical item in the body or just outside and tell you how much there is of it. And guess what? The machine's only 27000 Well, I have not heard of that. Send me a link. Right, I will. And there's no image generated, just numbers, so it doesn't aggravate people that way. And it only takes a few minutes to run this thing. And you can add any type of explosive or whatever it is, just so it's a molecule and it vibrates at low, low frequency, low energy, uh, no, no, no scare about x-rays, that type of stuff. So I'll send you some information. They're competitors to the one that I've dealt with, but... Uh, Looks like, like a good system. We need some people with common sense in government. Looking for it. Thank you. My friend uh, Photog just sent me a note, a link to a new book come out called Playing with Purpose, Inside the Life and Faith of the NFL's Top New Quarterbacks. And it's a, it's a you know series of profiles of, well, Tebow. I mean, I like Tim Tebow, but it's the Broncos, so we'll ignore that. Then uh, Sam Bradford former Oklahoma quarterback, you're looking at me. And then, of course, the one that matters, Colt McCoy. So the uh, that's going to be an interesting book. It came out on September 1. It is currently rated 4,808, but that's before I mentioned it. You know, i got to get Tim Tebow on the show. Would you get him on tomorrow? Yeah, I'll get right on that. Thank you. I'll take Colt tomorrow, too, if, but he's a little bit harder to get to because he's a starter. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be nice and rest and recovered after tonight's game. Well, that's I mean that's why he'll have tomorrow off. Yeah, that's I'll get right on that. Thank you, uh, Paul in Denver. Do you think Tebow will be on the show tomorrow? I'm sorry. What I called about is sort of no longer current. It was about citizens carrying guns. Nope, that's no longer current. Brad in Los Angeles. Brad. Yes. Hi. How come the airport screeners don't use bomb sniffing dogs to check out the people? Well, they do. Okay. Thank you. John in Denver. Thank you. Did, uh, wait a minute. Just pause for a second. Are there screeners out there? No, they're not. It's I mean, just, did they it's leave? Just, it's just ruined TJ. Was there a strike? No, no. Was there a walkout the, or no. some kind of a labor thing? No, the screeners left. Drew and TJ are there. Okay, they're just checking. They, they are not doing enhanced pat-downs with the callers. There are that, no enhanced verbal pat-downs no. underway at the Hugh Hewitt Show. John in Denver. Hey, Hugh, I called to talk to you about the Mike Pence article and uh, or the speech that he gave at Hillsdale, but I have to chastise you a little bit on the fact that after all these years, you still haven't gotten over the drive and the fumble from Elway. So There's know, clearly no one screening. Misfounded. There's anyway, clearly no one screening. Would you like TSA rules to be implemented for phone callers for the rest of this segment? 
I think we might. Let's pat down John. Let's send the That'd TSA to John's house. Hey, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't forget, the phone company used to have a you know the little motto of "reach out and touch someone." You're right, but we would have anyway. Quick. Okay, uh, that the, the Pence speech was great. Hit the nail right on the head. Uh, I just want to encourage all the other Hugh Hewitt listeners to uh, subscribe to Imprimus. I shared that with six different people at work today, six new subscribers to Imprimus today. So it's a great... Thank you, my friend. I hope you had him sign up through HughHewitt.com so I can tell Arn I'm doubling his audience. Okay. The mad doctor atop Hillsdale. Thank you, John. I'll be right back with David Platt. Sit down, get ready. You're going to want to get this book if you're interested in having your life impacted. Stay tuned. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 21 minutes after the hour, American Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. You know, during Thanksgiving week, I always do uh, off the uh, off the standard path interviews, and this one is very off the standard path. I had a good friend of mine from the book world come up and say the most impactful book, the most radical book they had read in the last year was a book by that name, Radical, by the author David Platt, who is the pastor at the church at Brook Hills which is a 4,000-member congregation in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm pleased to welcome David Platt to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Pastor, welcome. It's great to talk to you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Now, uh, David Platt, your book is on the New York Times bestseller list. It's called uh, Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. When did you write it? Uh, it's been a process, I guess, over the last last couple of years. Um, just a product of my own life and the church that I lead. And, and so it came out in May. But it was the product of uh, two, two and a half years worth of processing and putting down on paper. So it's been about six months since it came out. Are you surprised by the reaction to it? Uh, absolutely. You know, I thought maybe a couple of people in the church I pastor might buy it. But uh, uh, apparently it's taken hold and really resonated, I think, primarily because not necessarily that there's anything particularly new in there, but that it resonates with what a lot of people have been thinking for a long time and just puts it down on paper. Well, I think it's new in its language. I think it's new in its bluntness, uh, and, and perhaps it's new in the unequivocal nature of your call on people. Before we talk about that, though, let's give a little little background on who David Platt is. Can you give the brief bio, Pastor? Sure thing. I uh, originally from Georgia, went down uh, to New Orleans, where I was actually teaching at a seminary after I'd finished up school down there, and then Katrina came to visit us in 2005, set the house underwater, and we relocated to Atlanta, where I'm from, and it was during that time that uh, this church in Birmingham, Alabama, invited me to come over and, and preach one Sunday, just filling in, because their, their previous pastor had left, and so I filled in one Sunday and asked me to come back another Sunday, another Sunday, before they're long, they're asking me to pastor. I'd never pastored before, and so, um, long story short, about four, four and a half years ago, I stepped in to begin pastoring this church, and totally in over my head. Um, uh, I don't, don't really have a clue what I'm doing, but I've learned a lot along the way, and uh, certainly enjoying the process. And how old are you, David? I'm 32. So you started pastoring a church at the age of 28. Or even twenty-seven, and uh, yeah. no wonder you're in over your head. That's that's very daunting. Uh, what was the the situation in the congregation when you arrived there, and what is it now? Well, it was uh, it was a, a congregation in transition. There had been some some struggles that had, uh, had kind of built over the last few years before I came, and so kind of a, a crisis of identity in some ways. Which way are, are they going to go? And then, um, but at the same time, just uh, wonderful people. 
with all kinds of gifts and resources, not just financial resources, but just uh, very, very talented people, um, just hungry to be a part of something that is, uh, yeah, bigger than themselves. And so that, that, that created kind of a, a perfect storm, in a sense, for uh, a pastor who was ready, who, who, who didn't have a lot of ideas based on what he'd done before or anything like that in the church, and a church that was ready to go in some new directions. And so we began to, over the last four years, go in a variety of different new directions. All right, let's walk through Radical, at least at the beginning here, and I'll, I'll digress as we go along. What's the core message of Radical, your new book? Basically, the core message is that we have a dangerous tendency in... Uh, American evangelical Christianity to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into our own image. Uh, we we take Jesus and we create a nice middle class American Jesus out of him who doesn't who doesn't mind materialism, who uh, is okay with our indulgence and pleasures, pursuits, success according to the standards of this world. A, D, a Jesus who wouldn't call us to any kind of dangerous extremes, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. And the real danger is that in this process, we start forming Jesus into our image, and when we gather together in our churches and we sing our songs, the reality is we're not really worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. We are worshiping ourselves under the guise of worshiping Jesus. And so trying to see, come back to, okay, who is Jesus? Not for who we create him to be, but who he really is, what he really said. And if we take his word seriously... They have, they have radical implications for our lives and the way we live in our culture. And so along the way, showing that, that maybe there are some key significant points where the, the gospel that he taught is very different from the American dream and ideals, values that we commonly accept in our culture, but may be actually antithetical to the gospel. Did you grow up uh, among relative comfort? I did. And so has your, has your life been one of relative comfort? It has been absolutely. I've, I've 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 grown up, in a sense, in the middle of a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream. And so, what what was it that hit you that began to peel this away in your view that that exposed what you call materialism as not it's packed even detrimental to understanding the gospel? Yeah, I think I think it was a collision of of word and world is the way I would describe it. That was really a, a bit of a crisis of belief in my own life, like. Here I am preaching the Bible week in and week out as I pastor a church, but then came it came to a head, and I have had a variety of different experiences and contexts overseas where we oftentimes see blind spots in our own lives and, and culture, for that matter, and in the church. But it uh, just came to a point where I began asking the question, okay, I teach this book, but do I really believe it? Because if I, if I believe what Jesus is saying here and what the, what the Bible is saying, and, and, and the situation is what it is in the world around me where I am extremely affluent compared to the rest of the world and where my life is, is really intended for more than just a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream. So it came to this crisis of belief in my own life where I said, okay, if I really believe this book, then what, what does that mean for my life? And then began to investigate everything from ambitions in my life to uh, possessions in my life, and uh, what is my life going to count for? And then that began to overflow, of course, into the church I lead as we began to walk through uh, those kind of truths and God's Word together. So, Pastor uh, uh, David Platt, you got the book name Radical. I'm going to read from it after the break a couple of things in it. 
but in the two minutes before the break, minute and a half before the break, what do you want people, the tens of thousands of people are listening right now, in fact, hundreds of thousands of people listening right now, what do you want them to do? I would say my, my encouragement is to re-engage uh, for, for a follower of Christ, to re-engage what Jesus has said with a fresh, honest, open perspective. When he says things like, anyone who's going to follow after me must give up everything he has, or has the boldness to say to people in, in Scripture, uh, I mean, to one man, uh, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Like, this is the Jesus that we follow. So what does it really mean to follow him in the world that we live in, and are we willing to ask the questions, really put our lives, our possessions, our hopes, our dreams, our houses, cars, everything we have on the table, and and trust Jesus to show us, it, do we need to hold on to these things, do we need to let go of some of these things, and what are our lives really intended to count for while we're here? And then in the process, even for somebody who may not be a follower of Christ, to engage uh, the gospel and ask the question, wow, Jesus is making a claim here that he is more valuable than anything and everything else in this world put together. Is that is that really true? And for followers of Christ to, to decide, okay, are we really going to believe that's true? And then for people who may, may be exploring Christianity or have questions about Christ, that's, that's a bold claim. And, and so I would encourage folks in that. I'll be right back with Dr. David Platt, author of Radical. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The week before Thanksgiving, I often talk to different people about their work in the world and how they're trying to make it better for other people. This year, I'm talking with uh, Dr. David Platt. He is a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. He's also the author of a New York Times bestseller called Radical, Taking Your Faith Back from the American Dream. A man I understand and respect very much told me this is the most impactful book uh, on the market today and has changed many, many people's lives because it takes very, very seriously, almost literally, the uh, instructions of Christ in Scripture. For example, Luke 16, uh, David Platt, the Lazarus parable. Uh, what's the implication in your view? You write about page 112, 113, you know, through 117. Explain to people what you think the implication is that for someone listening in their car right now. Well, this is basically a story where where we see Jesus directly refuting a group of religious leaders who had basically justified their indulgences and their love of money and the culture around them, and he is showing them that, well, first of all, God's care for the poor and God's response to those who neglect the poor. And the picture is a, a rich man who uh, had everything in this life and then is in in hell after he dies, and then a poor man who is uh, who is sitting outside the rich man's gate uh, in the world and then finds himself in heaven. Now, the key is there's all kinds of potential misunderstandings there. It's not that poverty equals acceptance before God and riches equals condemnation before God, but the reality is that there there's a God who... who shows his glory and his greatness by caring for the poor, and he expects his people to do the same. He calls his people to do the same. And when you look at what we have oftentimes done in the name of Christianity, just indulging in more and more stuff, more and more entertainment and things for ourselves, even in our churches, you wonder if we're, we're missing the whole point in well, the process. Do you think people ought to have bank accounts? Sure, I, I, absolutely. I, I think that there's well, first of all, I would say there's there's no uh, 
legalistic, so to speak, rules on, on bank accounts or checking accounts or savings accounts or how much money should be in there. And there's no absolute answers. I wouldn't even say that this looks the same in everybody's lives. But I think the key is have people who are following after Christ, is he really in control of our bank accounts? Does, does he determine how we spend our money and where we pour our resources? And if he does, then that... That radically changes the way we spend our resources. Yeah, there are five. Uh, you, you suggest at the end of the book the radical experiment for one year in which you ask people to do five things. Pray for the entire world. Read through the entire word. Sacrifice your money for a specific purpose. Spend your time in other contexts and commit your life to a multiplying community. I'll go through each of those, but I want to go to sacrifice your money for a specific purpose. What do you mean by that? Basically, I'm encouraging folks. Well, in light of First Timothy chapter 6, talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. So to, to say, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish a point in, in my life and my spending where there's, there's contentment and, 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 and simple contentment. And that, again, will look different for different people's lives. But in the process, to free up free my, my, my life and pursuits from, okay, I need to get the bigger house or the better car or the nicer clothes or this or that. Let's live with, with much more contentment and free up and sacrifice the more and more stuff in this world in order to give to things that really matter in this world for the sake of urgent spiritual and physical need around the world. There are so many better uses of our resources. So um, to see uh, maybe a doctor in our faith family who came to me and said, uh, you know, well, first he said, I think you're crazy for saying some of the things you're saying, Pastor. And I said, okay. And But he followed up and he said, but I, I think you're right. You're only saying the things that, that Jesus has said. So... He began to talk about how he was he was going to sell his very large, nice house and some of his cars and all, uh, that, that he had he had bought, and he was just with tears in his eyes, just saying, "I want my life to count for something more than just more stuff in this world." So that kind of picture of sacrifice, and I think it looks different. It's not that everybody needs to sell their house or everybody needs to sell this or that, but that we really begin to say, "How can my resources be better spent to?" to make the goodness and the grace and the glory of Christ known in a world of urgent spiritual and physical need. How many people have done that, that you know of? Uh, scores, hundreds, thousands after encountering the book Radical? I mean, it's selling a lot of copies. It must be saying something to someone. Yeah, I don't know how many people have actually sold their, their homes. There's a variety of folks, certainly in our faith family, who have, who have taken that step. Some have sold, sold their homes and moved into other contexts around the world. Uh, some have uh, sold their homes and uh, moved into a, a, a lower income context that we are really focusing on here in in the city. Um, but then, and then I, I hear stories and from a variety of different places and a variety of different contexts in the country who are doing similar things, maybe selling homes and, and or, or this or that, or, or maybe taking some other steps, but really wrestling with what this means for their lives. I'll be right back with David Platt, pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, author of the New York Times bestseller, Radical. When we return, stay tuned. It's linked at HughHewitt.com, by the way. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt talking this hour with uh, David Platt. Dr. David Platt is a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, of a very large church there, the church at Brook Hills. He's a young man, 32 years old, and he wrote a book this year which rocketed up the New York Times bestseller list. It's called Radical. It's got a bright orange cover. It's in bookstores everywhere. It's linked at HughHewitt.com. And if I could summarize it, it is take seriously what Scripture says and what Jesus says, and that really means especially with your money, how much you have and what you use it on. Uh, fair summary, David Platt? I think, I think so. I think that, that sums it up. And it certainly affects our money as well as 
is everything in our lives, every facet of our lives. You also write here, spend your time in another context in the coming year. What do you mean by that? We, we encourage all the folks in, in our faith family to be intentional about going into context outside of Birmingham, Alabama, to be a part of the spread of the gospel and be a part of growing in Christ in the process. And so we have people who go uh, all around the United States and around the world into different contexts. Um, and so at the end of the book, one of the things I encourage folks to do is to, to be intentional, to spend maybe, maybe a few days, a week, in another context in the world, the way we phrase it sometimes, we talk about giving 2% of your life in another context this year, which works out to about one week of your life, and that 2% will radically change the 98% of your life you, you live here. Um, uh, the reality, when we go into other contexts in the world, especially, well, we need to be reminded that the people in, in my church need to be reminded that the world does not look like Birmingham, Alabama, and there, there, are, there are contexts in the world where people have no food, have no water, I've never heard of the gospel, and when we, we we can talk about that all day long, but until we go and we see and we're around and we serve in context like that in effective ways, uh, because there are some ineffective ways we could do that. But when we do that wisely, then it, it obviously has the opportunity to impact those other places and contexts for good, but it also changes our heart and our lives as now, well. Now, uh, Dr. Platt, you've got, obviously, it's Thanksgiving week, and people are going to sit around and say, thanks for many things out there that capitalism has brought. For example, uh, high-end medicine that can save babies who otherwise wouldn't be saved in the third world. Or, or Broadway shows that they can that, that employ young actors who wish to lead their life out. That's all made possible through what many people would consider to be the excess of capitalism. Do you want people to be guilty about the consumption of those goods, what what is it that you want from them on you know on Thanksgiving Day on Thursday around the table when they pray? That's a great question because I my my goal is in no way to be certainly not anti capitalism or anti money for that matter or anti enjoyment. I think what I want to encourage folks to do well first of all I want to be pro gospel. I want to encourage people to be most thankful that that God has sent His Son to die on a cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled to Him for all of eternity. And that you take everything else in this world away from us, and we still have Christ, and we have more than enough to be thankful for. And for us to see in Him a satisfaction and a joy that supersedes everything else in this world put together. And then to look at the good things that God has provided around us, whether it's the food that we'll have on the table on, on Thursday or a variety of other things. And in the process of that, to, to certainly be cognizant of the reality that these are blessings that a lot of people do not have, and then to ask the question, okay, as I live in a culture where I do have so much to enjoy, is there a way that I can, that I can make sacrifices, make changes in my life, in my family, in order to provide for what what people may not have in many contexts around the world. And I think those are really good, healthy questions to ask. My goal is not to promote guilt as much as it is to say, oh, there, there is in the gospel a joy to give and a satisfaction that's found in Christ and in living for the glory of Christ that supersedes the accumulation of more and more and more stuff in this world. And do you, do you think this generation, I mean, people who are 25 and younger, are, are even less removed from want and need and thus more removed from the gospel than the one before them and the one before them and the one before them? I think there is. Well, I think it plays out in different ways in different generations, but we, we are all prone to look to things in this world uh, for our satisfaction, to 
success in this world for um, for how we how we feel about ourselves, how we assert ourselves, and that plays out obviously in some context uh, rebellion against what some generations have seen before, um, or or even more indulgence than what they've seen before. I think it plays out in different ways. I think the key is all of us have a uh, a heart problem that leads us to things of this world apart from Christ, and it's not until we we acknowledge our need for. For him and our and our trust in him is the only one who satisfies that things will really begin to change in our lives and in the church. Now, I, I want to finish by talking about in uh, in the last chapter the letter you got, dear Doctor Platt, in the church at Brook Hills. It begins, I assume, yeah. based upon what others have said about you and the faith family at Brook Hills, which is your church, that you are accustomed to receiving complimentary letters. I hope that you will indulge me as I write to you from a different perspective. My letter could be considered more of a complaint or a warning. It is intended to enlighten you as to how you radical actions and teachings related to the Word have been destroying my life and probably the lives of others like me. It's not quite tongue-in-cheek. You really you really did, in concert with your church, destroy the way you had been living. He's just not ungrateful about it. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's what, what I enjoy the most in this process is hearing those kind of stories, whether it's people in our church or people in other contexts as they're digesting some of the, the truths from God's Word that are reflected in this book, is, is yeah, this, this brings about change in our lives, but change for the good. That once we thought, oh, I'd, we always think, oh, I'd be afraid to make those kind of changes, but once we start to do, we realize, wow, Jesus is more valuable than everything else in this world, and that there is a joy a reward that is found in following after him and and doing what he said he he created us he he knows god knows what is best for us the question is will we trust him anybody mad at you david platt <laughs> sure i think there's a, a few people along the way that uh uh don't necessarily uh like this message i think there's uh, to be honest, in the church that I pastor, there are some people that have left over these past few years. There's more who've come than have left, but there's certainly people who have who have left. And then there's, and I imagine, that, well, I hear from a pastor maybe who just started a new $30 million building campaign in his church, and people are reading this this book in his church, and they're coming and saying, well, why are we going to spend all this money on buildings? And so it's, it's kind of uh, messing up where the, the direction they were headed in, but I guess that's, that's part of the territory. Well, I appreciate your spending time with me this Thanksgiving week. A, uh, a very happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and your church. RadicalExperiment.org or RadicalTheBook.com or it's simply linked at HughHewitt.com. Thank you, Dr. David Platt. Coming back to finish up today's Hugh Hewitt Show. Stay tuned. 55 minutes after the hour, American. Thank you for listening today. Um, we are raised over $75,000. Talking with David Platt about people sacrificing. Thank this audience for being among them. 75000 bucks raised already for Feed the Children, Americans Helping Americans campaign. 888-58-CHILD. More than 1,100 people have called in or donated online. Uh, it's your turn now. Let's begin this Thanksgiving week by showing the many American families who suffered a job loss or a layoff or a natural disaster. That here in America, they are not being forgotten as Thanksgiving approaches. That number, once again, 888-58-CHILD. Thank you so much for participating in that. Uh, You can go online. I think that may be going down as we put up a a new campaign, but it might be over Children, Americans Feeding Americans, the the website over at HughHewitt.com. That might change out tonight, but you can still use the phone number 888-58-CHILD. 888-58-CHILD. That book, Radical, by David Platt is linked over at HughHewitt.com. You're going you're gonna to want to read it. It's uh, it's not a hard read. It's a very provocative read. It's hard to read, but it is not 
a hard read, meaning, uh, well, you know what I mean. It means it, it swims by, it's very engaging, it's very interesting, but it's, it's, not, uh, it's not easy to understand and it has a call on your life, which is pretty significant. Whether or not you're a believer, um, it is a, uh, it's a bestseller for a reason. It's a bestseller for a big reason. Tomorrow we're going to be back on politics almost exclusively. I'm going to continue to follow the TSA story because I believe by the end of this uh, time next week, within a week, they will have uh, modified the TSA policy dramatically. Because all of us will, I, I will be flying next Monday, and uh, I will look to see if it's different from when I flew last week. I'm not flying this week. I'm going out on Monday to New York next week and then down to Atlanta to a great, great conference on the American legal system about which if you're living in Atlanta you want to come, you can go over to HughHewitt.com and, and see what it's all about. John Ratzenberg and I are going to be there talking about the, uh, along with many other uh, people talking about the um, the hemorrhaging. John Ratzenberger is an extraordinary expert on what's happened to American manufacturing. And this conference gets underway on November 30th, and it goes through December 2nd. And it's uh, sponsored by the Foundation for Fairness and Civil Justice. And it's linked over to com. But people like Tim Pawlenty and Wallace Jefferson, who's the Chief Justice of the Texas Supreme Court, is going to be there. Bernie Marcus is going to be there from Home Depot. Philip Howard, who wrote The Common Good. Um, Anastasia Kelly is going to be there. She used to be at AIG, going to have some very challenging things, you know, all sorts of different issues in the world of civil justice. And uh, you don't want to miss it. We're going to be up at the Western North Perimeter in Atlanta, Georgia. And all the details, all the details are at uh, com. I have to scroll down there on the right-hand side if you want to uh, you want to sign up for that. And so uh, it's great to start off Thanksgiving week with you this way. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, SD. Sinister Dell is back. Thank you, TJ. Thank you, Drew, new Drew. And thank you, Generalissimo. Uh, Dwayne, we'll be back tomorrow, America, on this Thanksgiving week here at the Hugh Hewitt Show.